Today on Hardwired. The Great Tribulation lasts seven years. And during those seven years, God pours out three sets of seven judgments, 21 judgments in all. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls. 21 judgments in all, falling consecutively one after the other. To my mind, each of them getting worse. You are listening to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire the founder and senior pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Maybe you've noticed that our culture is pretty messed up these days, which makes people feel anxious and filled with questions. They want peace, but have a hard time finding it or making it last. Well, Pastor Jeff is going to share in the message today about how you can finally be filled with hope, security, and most importantly, that peace you're looking for. We know that you're going to enjoy the message. But you can also listen to it again, or any of the messages, anytime you would like, at our website, hardwired.org. Let's get right to the message. Here's Pastor Jeff to tell us what's coming up today on Hardwired. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Hardwired. Thank you so much for joining us and making us a part of your very busy day. Well, we're going through the Book of Revelation on Hardwired. It's been a great series so far, very exciting, very informative, very illuminating. And today we're gonna continue with a group of men that you are going to immediately recognize as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Most people that know anything about the Bible or the book of Revelation, this is what they know about. They know about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's been movies made about it, books written about it, But we're going to see today exactly who these four horsemen are, what they stand for, what they represent, and how they will affect planet Earth. So grab something to write with, grab your Bible, and let's jump right in to the message, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Tonight we're going to look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Last time we covered chapters four and five. In chapters four and five, I was sharing with you give us a much needed view of incredible worship taking place in heaven. We need to see this. It's like a prelude, literally, to hell on earth because that's what the judgments of God are gonna bring. Now, we caught a beautiful glimpse of what heaven is gonna look like. Uh, It's full of worship. If you don't like worship, learn now because that's what you're gonna be doing in heaven. That's That's what's going on. When you come into the presence of the Lord, You can't help but worship and cast your crowns at his feet. Amen? We're gonna need what we saw in chapters four and five because next God's awesome judgments begin. Now, chapters six through 19 vividly predict and describe what has historically been called the Great Tribulation, which occupies 14 of the 22 chapters of this book. All right? The Great Tribulation is the climactic hour of God's judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. And we're gonna see that as we go through this book, that even with the judgments of God falling, the people are looking up and shaking their fist in the face of God and blaspheming his name, even though they know that it's his judgments. And it sets the stage for the return of Christ in a brand new world. Now we're gonna see that the Great Tribulation contains several sevens. All right, it's interesting. Seven is the number for completion. And I don't believe big time in Bible numerology. I think you can get into that too much and kind of go loopy with it. But 
there are certain numbers, the number three for God, number six for man, number seven for new completion, number eight, new beginnings. That's kind of where my Bible numerology stops. It will last, let me give you an example. The great tribulation uh, lasts seven years. And during those seven years, God pours out three sets of seven judgments, 21 judgments in all. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls. 21 judgments in all, falling consecutively one after the other. To my mind, each of them getting worse. The bowl judgments are worse than the seal judgments, and they're bad. But this is the judgment of God. Now, we're going to see that during the great tribulation, Satan, under God's permissive hand, is allowed to bring his evil forces to the earth like never before. He is allowed to manifest like never before. The apostle Paul predicted this very thing. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses three to six. Paul says, don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion. And another version uh, would say apostasy against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So an apostasy from the faith will precede the appearance of Antichrist, all right? And and in my opinion, we're seeing an apostasy right now. There is an apostasy happening all over the world. People are, are more and more walking away from the faith. I ran across one last night. Cindy and I were just out for a little ride and I ran across the guy. As a matter of fact, I stopped and uh, I asked this guy a question. Uh, he was working on a house and I asked him, hey, what's the square footage of that house? That thing is huge. He said, I know that voice. Who are you? And I said, I'm Jeff Wickwire. And he says, I used to listen to you on the radio. And I said, used to? And he said, well, um, I've kind of gone into Judaism. I said, really? Tell me. And, and he, he proceeded to tell me about how he had, decided Jesus wasn't God, Jesus was not the Messiah, and he had walked away and gone into Judaism. I wanted to say, I bet you love Galatians, but I didn't, because Galatians is all about don't go into Judaism, run for your life. But anyway, I sat and had a long talk with him. And so here I was looking at somebody who has literally apostatized from the faith, walked away. Now, he may not feel that way, but that's when you renounce Christ and walk away, that I don't believe anymore. I don't want it anymore. That's not backsliding. That's apostasy. All right. And so I intend to call him, stay with him and have some very hearty debates with him because I got his card. So he's sunk now. I can track him. Right. But now watch this. There's going to be a great rebellion and apostasy against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Did you catch that? He's going to sit in the rebuilt temple of God, and he's going to claim, I'm God. That happens three and a half years through tribulation. And literally all hell breaks loose on the earth when he does that. Everything changes. And I'll get into that later in this, this series. Don't you remember, says Paul in verse five, that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. Another version would say restraining him. 
What is restraining the appearance of Antichrist? Some say the Holy Spirit. Others say the church. I personally believe it's the church because when the church is taken out, there's no more restraint against evil. The church is the salt of the earth, the light of the world. When the church is taken out, restraint is taken out because nobody's gonna sit there and go, well, that's clearly the Antichrist. No, because the church will be gone. So you know what is holding him back for he can be revealed only when his time comes. So that's talking about the Antichrist. Now, at this very moment, it is God who is holding back the appearance of Antichrist through the church. And of course, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is part and parcel of that because the Holy Spirit lives in us. He will not arrive on the scene until God's timing allows it and the church is gone. Now, as we come to chapter six, it opens with the appearance of the well-known four horsemen of the apocalypse. These four horses represent four awesome judgments the last day's earth will experience. And what we're about to read is not a pretty picture. And I wish what we're about to read weren't true, but it is. Now, because it's so heavy and it is hard to hear, it's hard to read, it's hard to imagine. I, I wanna just remind us again that when God brings judgment, it's always after lengthy calls to repentance mixed with warnings from his prophets, always. God always gives a lot of time to repent before judgment actually falls. Abraham said to God, he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, the judge of the earth will always do right. And he said that to God before God rained fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Peter informs us that during Jesus' many persecutions and abuses at the hands of men, our Lord, quote, never answered back when insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. I love this next part of the verse. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. When somebody offends you, leave your case in the hands of God. He saw it. He knows about it. You don't have to go whoop anybody. You don't have to execute Texas justice. You don't have to go work out some vengeance plan. No, if somebody wrongs you, leave your case in the hands of God because folks, things have a way of coming out in the wash. They do. They do. So because God, look what he says, always judges fairly. The psalmist David writes in Psalms 19, verse nine, the judgments of the Lord are true and they are righteous altogether. So, so when God judges, it's always right. People say, Pastor Jeff, why did, why did God tell Israel to go into the land of Canaan and slaughter all those people, the men, the women, and the children? Why did God do that? But the people that ask that question don't know Bible history because God told Abraham that there would be 400 years before judgment fell on the Canaanites because the sins of the Amorites were not yet fulfilled. In other words, God said, the Amorites, the Canaanites, those that are living so wickedly in the land of Canaan, they're living terribly. They're full of sin. They are, they are judgment worthy. But I wait, God, God knows when the judgment or, or the, the sin and the iniquity reaches the place of fullness, uh, completeness, when it's not gonna get any worse. And God says, that's it. 
And that's why God sent in judgment. But look, he gave them 400 years to repent. Now that said, let's begin with the first horseman. Here we go. Revelation 6.1, as I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Who broke it? The lamb. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, come. And then John observes, I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. We'll get back to Pastor Jeff in a moment to close out today's program. But first, I wanna share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to share the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ in a way that gets hardwired into your life. And we trust these messages from Pastor Jeff aren't something you can only listen to and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's a priority to us. And you get to join us in this important mission. Call us at 877-884-3111 to say you're in, or drop us a line at our website, hardwired.org. Well, here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of today's program. Now, most Bible scholars believe this is the Antichrist. I believe it's the Antichrist. He will have authority depicted by the crown, but he'll go forth conquering as the good guy. He's gonna appear on the world stage as the good guy. Daniel says he'll gain his power by flatteries, by working people. He'll be a master manipulator, hence the white horse. That's why it's a white horse, because he comes on like a good guy. Remember, Jesus, way later at the end of the revelation, Jesus returns on what color of horse? So anti-Christ. So here you have a phony counterfeit preceding the real thing. Have you ever noticed the devil often sends the fake before the real shows up? Tries to get you to, to bite the bait on the fake before the real shows up, before God answers that prayer or before God guides you into that right uh, place where he wants you. A fake, a phony, a counterfeit, a wrong substitute is offered. And here, Antichrist appears like Christ, white horse. Roman generals rode white horses depicting themselves as conquering heroes. And Antichrist is gonna present himself as a master problem solver, a diplomat deluxe, a man of peace and of goodwill. I'm here to help the world. I'm here to get you out of your trouble. I'm here to broker a Middle East peace treaty. I'm gonna bring peace to the Middle East. I'm gonna bring peace to the world. I'm your guy. I'm your answer. I've got it all going on. I'm all that in a bag of chips, all right? British historian Arnold Toynbee wrote, by forcing on mankind more and more lethal weapons and at the same time making the whole world more and more interdependent economically, technology has brought mankind to such a degree of stress that we are ripe for deifying any new Caesar that might succeed in giving the world unity and peace. Right now, we're watching all the nuclear saber rattling Russia towards Ukraine, Putin threatening nuclear war, China testing missile delivery systems, 
They go faster than anything has ever gone. They can circle the globe in a stunning amount of time. We're surrounded by nuclear arsenal, way, way more than enough to take the world out over and over again. And so no wonder the stress, especially of the unsaved, is so high. I can't imagine seeing this world through the eyes of being lost, having no God, no Christ, no promises, no Bible, no Holy Spirit comforting me, strengthening me, no word of God guiding me, shining light on my path. I can't imagine being in this world without Jesus. Can you? It would be a very scary place. No wonder people are checking out. No wonder they're drowning themselves in drugs and alcohol and all kinds of weird occult practices and so on and so forth. The rider of the white horse represents the arrival of the man who will become for a brief time the world's conquering hero and ruling Caesar, the Antichrist. He'll look noble. He'll look righteous. He'll look gallant. He'll be charismatic. He'll be persuasive. He'll be an incredible orator. That's why so many people were convinced that Hitler was the Antichrist because he was a perfect type, charismatic, could, could hold hundreds of thousands of people spellbound with his oratory. He seemed to solve so many problems for Germany overnight. And many people in the West thought, there, there he is. That's the Antichrist. We're there. But he wasn't. He was just a type. He was a type. He was a good type, but he wasn't the one. Antichrist will rise quickly to a place of prominence. He'll be hailed a problem-solving genius. But folks, here's the deal. He's the devil in disguise. The most, in my opinion, the most demon-possessed man in the history of the world. Certainly the most demonically used man in the history of the world. Does he come about by an immaculate conception from below? No, no. He's a human being with the fallen nature of Adam, but Satan lays hold of this man. Remember what it says about Judas. It says Satan entered Judas's heart. You remember that? Satan entered Judas's heart. He had already decided that he was going to betray Jesus. But then it says after that, Satan entered his heart and he went straight out and told the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, how to get to him, telling them, I'll take you to him tonight. But it says Satan entered his heart. Satan will enter this man's heart on a level unseen, in my opinion, in the history of the world. Now, once the white horse rides and he steps onto the world stage, the next seal is opened. Revelation 6, 3 to 4, after the lamb breaks the second seal, the second living creature with the attributes of a calf cried out, come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. The red horse is testimony to this, that the world peace the Antichrist brings only temporarily will soon fade away. For the next horse, this red one, is the fiery horse of war. Paul the apostle wrote of this when he said, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, peace, peace, then disaster will fall upon them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pain sees her and there will be no escape you don't put your faith in a wicked person. If you're looking for peace, look to the Prince of Peace, not the phony fakes. Amen?
Amen. Now, let's talk about war a minute. During the 20th century, two major world wars engulfed the globe, unlike anything the world had ever seen. Dozens of nations were involved, resulted in the deaths of millions of people. As a matter of fact, I looked it up. Approximately 11 million people died in WW1. You know how many died in WW2? 60 million. WW1 was just a prelude to WW2. So 71 million people died in the first half of the 20th century. 71 million people died in war in the first half of the 20th century. Unimaginable. But midway through the Great Tribulation, the world's going to be plunged into a conflict without parallel. With the release of this red horse, the greatest war in the history of mankind is going to take place. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. It'll be fought in the Valley of Megiddo. I've been there. I've stood there and looked out at that lush, that lush-looking, beautiful Valley of Megiddo. Napoleon stood there, and Napoleon said these words, not being a believer. He said, the armies of the world could fight here. Napoleon said that. Little did he know he was speaking scripturally because the armies of the world will fight there. Jesus warned of this battle that if he didn't return, no flesh would live. This battle precedes his return. Jesus said, for then there will be great tribulation, affliction, distress, and oppression, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be again. Now, I, I pulled these words. Look, it's not ever been, this war not ever been, isn't now, and never will be again. It's unparalleled. And if those days had not been shortened, Jesus said, no human being would endure and survive. But for the sake of the elect, God's chosen ones, those days will be shortened by the grace and mercy of God. So there's gonna be war. Remember Jesus said, they said, what, are, what is the sign of your coming, Lord? And at the end of the age, he said, you're gonna hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that your heart is not troubled for nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. The word for nation is ethnos. It means ethnicity. I believe he's predicting race wars there. Ethnicity against ethnicity and kingdom against kingdom. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Ethnic wars and wars for other reasons. But they're always not the right reason. Well, not always. Sometimes you have to defend yourself. And that's a just war if you've got to defend yourself. But there's going to be these wars. Christ predicted it. And now here again in the Revelation, we see the red horse galloping. And then we come to the next one. The lamb broke the third seal. I heard the living being say, come. And I looked up and I saw a black horse. And his rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, quote, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. Now the scales represent, I believe in this verse, the inequality of goods, an inequality that will exist in the world in the day of the tribulation that will be stark, that will be brazen, that will be outstanding. It's, the scales, they're tipped, they're tipped unfairly. The black horse represents famine. No question about it. Jesus said, in the days preceding my return, famines will increase worldwide. Clearly, massive inflation, in my opinion, is suggested here if you've got to work an entire day for a loaf of bread. 
I'm starting to wonder about that right now. We're at 8.5% inflation. You been to the store lately and seen those empty shelves? John mentions oil and wine, which are luxuries, not necessities. The, the loaf of bread is a necessity. You got to have it to live. But the oil and the wine, these are luxury items. Oil represents toiletries, beauty aids, body conditioners, things you don't have to have. They are, they are, uh, they are options if you have the money. The wine speaks of another luxury item not everybody's going to be able to buy. We appreciate you listening today to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire. Every program we do has one main thing in mind, and that's to share the hope and good news of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear this message and hardwire the teaching into their daily life. That's what this ministry is all about. So if you've been encouraged by the message, we would love to hear about it. Pick up your phone and give us a call at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. Or go online to our website at hardwired.org. And be sure to bookmark the web address to your favorites folder so you can come back often. Also, would you consider getting on board with us as a faithful ministry partner? Your valuable contribution makes a big difference to us in helping to get the message of the gospel out through this program to people everywhere. Your generosity along with this ministry is reaching people in a way that you may never have the ability to do on your own. So jump on board as a hardwired partner by calling us at 877-884-3111 or go online to hardwired.org, 877-884-3111 or hardwired.org. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you so very, very much. Have a great rest of the day and thanks for listening to Hardwired. Hardwired.